first and most importantly, is it Laurel or Yanny? Mm. Laurel? Yanny. Oh, what did I hear? Laurel. I don't remember what I Laurel. What is it supposed to say about you if you hear one or the other? It's supposed to be... Oh, I don't know. Like I the think tone. it's moral fortitude. <laughs> That's what I heard. Welcome to another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues in public PK-12 education. We are spending the day at Code RVA Regional High School. It's an innovative new school located in Richmond, Virginia, serving students from 13 school divisions throughout the Commonwealth, including six in the Merck region. Uh, Merck is conducting an evaluation of the school over the next four years to explore the experiences and outcomes of students at Code RVA. Today's conversation is not a part of that evaluation, but instead it's an opportunity for us to share a story about this new approach to education and all the people who are making it happen. Uh, Earlier today, we spoke with a group of five students coming from five different school divisions who attend Code RVA to learn more about their experiences and reasons for coming to this school. I'm excited to be surrounded by four members of the faculty uh, who help make this dynamic new school run every day. Since computer technology is at the heart of this school, as I introduce you to our guests, I'm going to ask each of them to describe the first computer that they ever had. I ask the same thing for the students. So, want to know what it looked like and what it was capable of doing. So, first we have Michael Bowling. Uh, he's the executive director of Code RVA Regional High School. Has been an educator for 24 years. Prior to working with Code RVA, Michael served at the Virginia Department of Education for seven years as director of mathematics in governor's schools and 15 years in teaching and instructional leadership. So you've been at this for a while. Michael, what was your first computer? What, what would it look like? What could it do? Well, after, uh, probably Pong was the very first one, Odyssey Pong. And uh, then after that, it was uh, my first actual like uh, desktop computer was was the TRS-80 color computer. Ooh. It was not the black and white model. It was the color computer, and it was excellent. Uh, and I used to copy. Uh, I used to copy code directly out of magazines into there to program thousands of lines of code uh, to make very few things happen. <laughs> so manually entering code. Yeah. That you got from magazines. Right, I didn't know what I was writing. I was copying, and it made things happen. And then I learned from that a little bit. Man, we've, we've come a little ways from there. Yeah. Um, Gwen Ashworth is a school counselor in her first year at Code RVA and seventh year in the profession overall. Previously, she worked in Harrisonburg City Public Schools as a middle and high school counselor. She also served as a middle school athletic director, coached five seasons of girls basketball at the middle and high school levels. Uh, and led the citywide implementation of the Gear Up grant sponsored by the State Council for Higher Education in Virginia. Gwen, what was your first computer? Uh, my memories are a lot less specific for Mr. Bowling, and my ability to manage the computer was a lot less skilled as well. I remember that it was whitish gray, and it um, connected me with the world. Specifically, I enjoyed the online chatting with friends, wow. and the Napster file-sharing device. We're talking mid to late 90s. Uh-huh. Um, and I think there's something to be said for dial-up, because right now it's so instant 
and our kids don't know what it's like to have to really sit and wait and reflect, but <laughs> it's not a bad thing. So that's my first memory with the yeah. computer. That was the struggle, the mm-hmm. dial-up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You start Gifts downloading and a curse. page. Gifts and a curse. Yeah, and then you have dinner, and then you come back, and the page is still downloading. Still um, I used to be a high school counselor, too, mm-hmm. and I used to work for Gear Up, so... You and I might be the same person, Glenn. We might be. I was wondering that. <laughs> now we know. Um, we've got Rebecca Hall. Rebecca is a math teacher at Code RVA and has been an educator for 15 years. She's a national board certified teacher, has, been, has previously served as the secondary mathematics curriculum specialist for Chesterfield County Public Schools, which is a Merck School Division, a secondary math coach, and teacher in both Chesterfield and Stafford Counties. Rebecca, what's your first my memories go right to playing Oregon Trail in middle school because that's like what we did all the time. Oregon Trail and where in the world is Carmen San Diego? So those two games, they just were so exciting. And now we'll, kids would die if they saw what we played because it was so old. But um, yeah, that's what I remember yeah. most. Did you have Carmen San Diego on floppy disk? Or was oh, it absolutely. Floppy disk, yes. Mm-hmm. That's a, that was a hard game. It was, yeah. We had to get out like atlases and we had to look stuff up in mm-hmm. order to answer the questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tricked you into learning. Yep. Whole point. <laughs> and then we have Joy Beattie. Uh, Joy has been an educator for 10 years. She previously worked with Prince George's County Public Schools in Maryland as a high school resource teacher. Prior to that, she taught with Richmond Public Schools, which is a Merck School Division, in the International Baccalaureate Program as a history teacher, and she taught history in a high-needs high school. She enjoys developing new curriculum. Uh, this has afforded her opportunities to write for the Yale National Press and the National Endowment for Humanities. She currently teaches uh, Global Studies, which is an integration of both English and history here at Code RBA. Joy, mm-hmm. what was your first computer like? I like Gwen. Remember it sitting on a desk and I've used it only to tap into conversations. So you remember when it dialed up, uh-huh. you can hear someone were on the phone and I remember using it as a way to eavesdrop on my mom's phone calls. Okay. Yeah, and it wasn't a good way to do it. Yeah. But that's how I used it. And I had my first boyfriend online. Oh that's nice. yeah, it was through a chat room. <laughs> so in general it was a tool for mischief. Yeah, that's how I used it. I'm not proud of it, but I used it that way. So my name is David Knapp, and I'm the Assistant Director of Research and Evaluation for Merck and the host of this podcast. I mentioned with the students earlier that we had computer class in school, and I remember going in, and the the screens were all green. I remember playing Oregon Trail, amongst other things. But I remember my parents' computer, I would get on and use Microsoft Paint and then print things off on that paper that had the holes on the sides that made a really loud noise and it took forever, but I was so proud of the stuff that I made. Um, All right, let's get to it. We've got a lot to discuss today. Michael, what is Code RVA Regional High School? How was this conceived? What's the purpose of this new approach to public secondary education? Thanks, Dave. As you said in the introduction, uh, we are a regional public high school in uh, Greater Richmond area. about 13 superintendents from the Greater Richmond region got together and um, they started having discussions about what the next generation high school might look like. There was a call for an innovation grant that was available through the Department of Education. So the superintendents collaborated to come up with a vision of a new type of high school and they wrote the grant and they got a grant which got the seed money and got the whole thing started. So for a couple years it sat and it was being planned. 
and then they they hired me um, to get it off the ground. And uh, so I worked in trying to make their vision a reality. And the focus of the school was to, number one, approach education in a different way and to be a lab school that was trying different things uh, and also trying to increase the pipeline um, of workers to, a, to the growing tech industry in the greater Richmond area. So it, it was really an uh, exciting program to, to, to get off the ground. And uh, here we are in, at the, coming up on the end of year one. So yeah, it's about exciting. I'll bet it went by quickly. So you, you've done a bunch of different things in public education. You were at VDUE right before this, is that right? I was. What, what enticed you into leaving that position to come to Code RBA? I think there were a number of factors. I, th- I think number one was um, I'd been out of a classroom for, you know, or, or away from classrooms and schools uh, at the Department of Ed working on policy and other various things, infrastructure for state professional development, things like that. And I was really excited about the opportunity to get back uh, close to kids and schools and also to provide opportunities for kids that um, didn't necessarily have opportunities for um, a, a focused education that prepared them for jobs, co- college and careers in computer science. And mm-hmm. so um, I had kind of worked in the STEM realm for a long time. And, um, you know, I, I had actually avoided school-based leadership for a number of years uh, intentionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and this was my chance uh, and uh, to open up a school. And I think every educator kind of dreams about if you could open up a school, what would you do? Mm-hmm. And, and what would it look like? And I think that uh, these four educators right here in the room got that opportunity, and it was uh, super exciting, I think, to all of us. Um, So this is a very non-traditional kind of school, including the building, the layout, everything. Gwen, what does Code RVA look like? So describe the layout and structure of the school. How do you think the structure contributes to the ways that students learn and interact here? Sure. So to describe the space where we are, I'd say first and foremost, we're open and collaborative. So you take your idea, your conceptualization of a traditional school setting, and then you remove maybe 80 to 90% of the walls within that space. And so when you walk into our space, that's, that's what your eyes come to. It's just a big open space that has a bit of a tech professional type feel. Um, That is intentional. We're lucky to have a partnership with Capital One. They've donated a lot of their furniture and items. And uh, so those populate our general open space. There are sofas, there's desks, there are different sizes and different formations. And we really encourage um, students to utilize those spaces to spread out and interact with one another. Mm And so the large space is what first meets your eye. However, on the periphery, there are small classrooms. Right now we have six small classrooms in addition to some office space. And those are used by teachers um, when speaking to our structure to pull small groups. We call them breakouts. Teachers teach blended courses. So any teacher that is staffed here is teaching a class through blended learning, meaning that some of the content is delivered through an online platform. Ingenuity in our case, and other parts are delivered in person through small group or one-on-one experiences. Mm-hmm. So our students structurally are for three-fourths of their day working on blended coursework mm-hmm. in global studies and science and in mathematics. The other fourth of their day is for their online courses that are not the blended, not of blended nature. So mm-hmm. those include any electives such as health and PE, um, world language, etc. And so how does that get back to our space interacting with our structure? Well, 
our mission, our vision is self-paced um, for workers to be autonomous, for students to develop workplace readiness skills, and then breeding those things with diversity and inclusivity and teaching all of that. Mm-hmm. The space allows for all of those intangibles to coalesce, to happen in real time, and for students to work through them in a way that's more accessible than traditional walls or traditional barriers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is the purposefulness and the purpose of the space. And that's what we're constantly seeking to do, to provide more access and opportunity through things as simple as and logistical as a wall. Mm-hmm. What What was the reaction of students when they first came in and saw this space? Because, I mean, they're used to something very different, I would imagine. There's a lot of excitement. We had an orientation mid-August last year. Our orientation for them also for us <laughs> and there's a lot of excitement you come in here and you see it you've heard about it but it, it hadn't come to fruition um, visually yet until that point and so very exciting it was exciting for all of us the first time we walked around here and got to know the space and it's been really a unique process putting it all together yeah so doing school like this in this very open environment is very experimental when you think about it do you feel like it's been a pretty successful first year with having this kind of open environment Absolutely, absolutely. Certainly, uh, we're met with reminders for why there are walls sometimes and why there are not, and we're learning in what instances those um, those items benefit students or those actions benefit students. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of students, there's a pretty great diversity of types of students that are coming to this school because we're drawing from so many school divisions. Joy, why don't you tell us about your students? Where do they come from? How does that contribute to the overall mission of this school? Well, our students come from 13 school divisions in the greater Richmond area. The mission, when you consider the mission, the key points that stick out to me are diversity, equity, accessibility, inclusivity, mm-hmm. to afford um, access specifically with minorities, inclusive of girls, mm-hmm. to ensure that they're on the pipeline um, regarding STEM-related fields. Yeah. Why does the focus on diversity and inclusivity matter? Because I think when folks think about a new approach to school, they, they probably jump straight to things like curriculum, for example, or like doing online learning. That in itself is a really dynamic thing. But why is it so important that the school is so diverse? Why did we prioritize that? I think that the inclusive nature of the school is really important because when, when you get into work uh, in the real world, you have to work with kids that don't necessarily look like the kids in your neighborhood mm-hmm. and uh, don't have the exact same experiences. And so we're you know, hitting the ground running, bringing in kids from uh, not, not only um, geographic diversity, but also uh, the way that they grew up and you know, the amount of money that they had at home and the resources that they had access to. And, and we're putting it all together so that they're gonna be learning about other people and how to interact with other people prior to getting into the workplace where, and then becoming accustomed to it. So, mm-hmm. so I think that it's, it's about opening their eyes to um, how other people are just like them mm-hmm. and how they're different. And I think that some students really, um, they feel more comfortable being themselves in a small setting, a, a small school setting versus, you know, some of the schools that are 1,700 or 2,000 kids. You know, it's it's like uh, individuals get lost in the in the in the mass mm-hmm. of students. So I th- I think here like they have a voice, they have like a, a culture, and I think that they embrace the fact that they're like building a culture, they're building a school, they're building um, a program, and they have input. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so it's 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 
I think it's exciting for them. Yeah, they buy in to what you're doing here. Well, I'm curious to know what a typical school day is like at Code RVA. So, Rebecca, walk us through that. How do students navigate the high school curriculum? What kind of interactions do they have with teachers? Um, how do you feel like this new curriculum design has worked so far this year? Well, we don't have traditional classes, so everybody starts in morning meeting, which is the first 10 minutes of the day, where we have small groups where we do attendance and announcements and all of that and get to know them, ask about their weekend, talk to them about those things. Um, and then we have four rotations throughout the day. So during that time, students may be sitting in the open space working online. Um, using Edgenuity for online coursework, or um, we as teachers may have invited them to a breakout session. So we do that using um, Google, so it just shows up on their Google Calendar, so they check their calendar every day. They know they have a meeting to attend, a breakout session, so sometimes it's just making connections between the material they've learned online, having discussions about things. Um, it could be pre-teaching, it could be review, remediating, just every breakout's different depending on what we as teachers need um, to focus on and what the students need based on where they are in the curriculum. Mm -hmm. So since there is some personalization on where they are paced, breakout sessions vary. Um, so we interact with kids in breakouts, but then we also interact with them when they're in the open space. We're walking around. If they have questions, they can grab us. They'll email us and say they need help with something. So we interact with them all day. So we are accessible all the time to help them um, give them whatever support they may need. And for some kids, it's just a reminder to get back on track. And other kids, it's, hey, I noticed you got all this work done. Great job. And just those um, positive interactions that you can have with kids all the time. Um, the curriculum has been good this year. Obviously, we've learned a lot about things we want to change for next year. Um, using an online platform that we haven't created has proven challenging at times because we have found different things we want to focus on. Um, so we'll be making tweaks to our instruction, of course, like any teacher does, even in traditional school, we would do that mm -hmm. to improve our instruction every year. Mm -hmm. um, it just might look different that we might be do because we have some online and some face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea of blending together their learning to make sure all kids are getting exactly what they need. How did you find that students adapted to this new style of learning in classes whenever they first came in here? Um, well, at the beginning, we were a little more structured about, okay, at this time of day, you're working on math. At this time of day, you're working on global studies. And we as teachers went to where they were seated and kind of guided them through. Now it's math time, and we pulled students from that area for breakout sessions and things. So they kind of got, most of them got to the hang of that idea. Um, as the years progressed, we've kind of modified that a little bit so they have more freedom to what they want to work on when. But... Um, just providing support, and as we look to next year, we'll go back to providing more support at the beginning of the year to help our new students learn how things work here, because it's very different than what they're used to. There's no bell going off and time's up and you have to move on. If you're not, if you're in the middle of the math quiz and it's time for the next rotation, you just keep doing the math quiz. Mm -hmm. So it's just a different feel. So teenagers, like adults, have a tendency to procrastinate mm -hmm. from time to time. So how is this self-paced model of learning work for them? Um, it depends on the kid, of course. We as teachers provide deadlines of, you know, we've paced out the year, and this is where you should be, and this is what we should be doing, and then that's where breakouts and sessions sometimes vary, and sometimes you have a breakout with students that just need help catching up with things to do. Um, so it becomes very differentiated instruction, which is what we know is what's best for kids, but we can actually do that here because we can see where they are, and then we can make changes based on what they individually need. Um, as the years progressed, of course, we've had some students who've fallen behind, so that it's working with them. How can we catch up? What do we need to do? What other supports can we put in place? So we've put in extra layers of support throughout the year 
and maybe next year we might find we put those extra layers in earlier. Um, so Rebecca already started um, describing this, but what, what's the experience of being a teacher here at Code RVA, Joyce? So describe your interactions with students. What does teaching look like in this setting? So within a global studies context, um, I have the opportunity of essentially redefining my students' history experience and English experience. So global studies integrates English and history, which is totally different for a learner because they're used to the English class being down there and the history class being in another location. But um, as stated, I have the opportunity to do that. So if I'm integrating, I get to expand upon my students' history knowledge while also embedding English skills and enhancing that experience so that they have a deeper understanding of global studies. So for example, um, if I were looking at uh, the physical location of rivers in the United States, so the James River, the Mississippi River, and even the Rio Grande, I then could look at literary works from um, Langston Hughes and Negro Speaks of Rivers and Pat Moore's The Border and understand the cultural and historical connections to those rivers, specifically the Mississippi, the Nile River, the James River, things of that nature, so that they understand where these rivers are and historical figures' connections to those rivers as well. So it certainly is a different experience than the typical English class or the history class. Mm -hmm. And you've been in the game teaching for a little while, <laughs> so you've been in different kinds of classrooms right. than mm -hmm. this. How does this compare to your previous teaching experience? Well, luckily, I've always integrated. I think a really good history teacher would certainly uh, touch into any student's writing experiences, and a really good English teacher would certainly contextualize any literary work uh, so that students could have a deeper understanding of the author. So that's something that I've done always, and it also helps that I come from, I'm the daughter of a former English teacher. So these things were always surrounding me and a part of me. Um, this experience is different. The only difference is that I have to do it throughout the year hmm. versus um, having an itch to just do it for this unit in mm -hmm. January mm -hmm. or this unit in March or so. This time I have to do it throughout the year. So that's mm -hmm. the only difference. Yeah. Rebecca, what's it like to be a math teacher here? Um, it's different, of course. So this year they took, like some students took algebra and then they started geometry right when they were done with it. And so then next year, since they'll be with us, then they'll finish geometry and start algebra too. So we're able to kind of work with their pace um, and speed up, accelerate their learning some so they can get through some of the math curriculum at a faster pace if they're able to handle that. Um, it was exciting this year to have a group of students finish Algebra 2 early April, and they were able to roll right into the next course and start math analysis. So just that flexibility there uh, when you have students who are willing and able and working hard and understanding the material to move forward versus in a traditional school, okay, you're done, now you wait until September to move forward in math. So just that idea of accelerating their learning and changing things based on what level math they're at is really exciting. And, uh, you know, the only reason why we could do what uh, Rebecca was talking about is because we've had a really supportive and visionary school board that um, waived the 140 clock hour requirement that's been in schools for over 100 years. And, you know, everything was based on that, you know, kind of um, agricultural calendar that was, you know, saying that, oh, we students need to be free in the summertime to help out with the fields. And, and, and so everything got kind of built on 180 school days and, and 140 clock hours. And they said, Hey, we're going to waive that requirement. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so they took a chance, they took a leap and, and, you know, hopefully, uh, well, I, we're doing a great job of, mm -hmm. of ensuring that students are still learning 
regardless of a 140 clock hour requirement because some students work at different paces and they can get it done faster mm -hmm. and why not reward the students by moving them on to the next thing and they can they can learn more and they can uh, it provides time in their 11th and 12th grade year to take additional electives and, and things that are in their interest areas so they can uh, do some career exploration and, and before they get out into the workplace it's it's kind of nice to know not only what you want to do but also what maybe you don't want to do in life and and Taking some courses that are self-selected, I think, really will help students decide what it is that they're interested in or not interested in. Yeah. Well, Michael, while you're on a roll, no, you know. we're one year in. Okay. Reflecting back, what have been some of the successes for Code RBA in this first year? What have been some of the challenges? I think um, it, it's, it's often difficult for educators to focus on their successes because, I mean, we always want to do things better for kids. So. Number one, I, I was happy that kids are happy here. They seem genuinely happy. They're learning, and we have evidence to show that they're learning. You know, and and so um, I think people had questions about, okay, well, you know, will this new method work? And and I can say right now, empirically, that it does work and it can work, and we're going to keep tweaking it and to make it better and better, and we're going to keep improving along the way. Um, I think that our, our biggest challenge is something that we faced from day one, which is, uh, I think Rebecca started talking about it, it's, it's we are teaching kids self-management skills, and we're teaching them how and sometimes to be resourceful and to teach themselves and to use resources that are out there to, to, to learn and to not always just raise their hand and ask a teacher. And, and we're asking them to go into each other. We're asking them to go to, to primary sources, to secondary sources, to go to, you know, um, you know, all different ways to learn. But it's about self-management of that and, and how to keep them moving through the content because we have to move the floor up as the year goes by because I, as the instructional leader, have to ensure that they're learning and they're completing something by the end of the year. So personalized learning is not about taking it as slow as you want. It's about providing opportunities to speed things up. But it, it also adjusts within one calendar year, it can adjust to the learning speed of students. Mm -hmm. So one of our biggest challenges is motivating students to keep moving forward and to keep pushing themselves even when they feel like they've been pretty successful, but they need to keep at it mm -hmm. and, and keep pushing themselves to set the next goal. Yeah, I wonder if Maybe even just anecdotally, if you've seen that self-regulation improve throughout the year, because some of it is probably that you're 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 navigating something really new and it's entirely yeah. self-paced. So, have you seen them maybe hone that skill a little bit more throughout the year? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the big turning points in in from at least me in my, in my in my view of what happened is we brought in the ninth graders at one point and showed them what's like what the benefits were in the eleventh and twelfth grade year mm -hmm. um, if they. Uh, keep moving through the content and, and keep at a, a faster pace that it could afford them all these cool opportunities like internships some of which will be paid and the fact that they get to choose which courses they want to take within computer science and they can you know letting them know that that's coming I think wow we should have done that earlier because it motivated some kids it really a, a group of them started accelerating at that point uh, and Gwen's been a big part of that, working with kids and our academic case managers and, and helping them put the pieces together to help them understand why they need to keep moving on. Self-regulation has improved. 
and we put in incentives and, and plans in place to incentivize positive act- academic behaviors. Um, and, uh, and, and we will start the year differently next year. Yeah. So, and, and we're honest about it and open about it. Sure. <laughs> Clearly. It's a very new thing that you're doing here. It makes sense to learn along the way. And speaking of next year, what's your vision for this school for next year? How's it going to look? It's going to be different. Right. Well, like I said, we, we're, we're learning from everything that we're doing now. And so we want to start next year even stronger than we did this year. Um, we want to bring in those kids, the, the next uh, you know group, the next cohort of ninth graders, and uh, continue to build, build the culture of the school. Um, we currently have ninth and tenth graders, so now we'll have eleventh graders, and then we'll start off offering dual enrollment courses towards their associate's degree or their uh, other pathways uh, to graduation. We're opening up so many new opportunities each day and each year that um, I, I really look forward to seeing it all evolve and mature. And again, that we'll, we'll keep reflecting on it to make sure we get it better and better. Um, at some point, you'll have your first set of graduates from this school. Mm-hmm. What do you hope for your graduates to take from their experiences here? Life is about options. Yeah. Um, being reflective, creating options for yourself, um, understanding that uh, when you mess up, uh, you will certainly um, be resilient because you've learned some things here regarding self-advocacy, time management, all of those things that we try to um, embed in our morning meeting slides and our breakouts, the culture, the climate here. So um, I would think that they would just want to realize that you want to get one and only life. So how are you going to do this? Um, what choices will you create for yourself? What opportunities will you create for yourself? Well, I'm excited for them to come back and tell us, like, instead of, I mean, I always had students come back in a traditional school and come back and be like, yeah, it's like what you said it was going to be like, but these kids are going to go out there and be like, it's like what it was here yeah. versus what you told me it was going to be like when right. I graduated from high school. They're going to know how to do college. They're going to know how to work. So I'm excited for them to come back and say, like, I was ready and I was ready. I was more prepared than my peers that mm-hmm. came out of traditional school. I, I think you're exactly right. Yeah. And, um, I want to see them, that first graduation class, like looking back and saying, wow, they, they spent a lot of time collaborating with other students. They, they, you know, I guess across the state now there's been a focus on the, they call them the four or five C's and we could add additional C's to that. But um, so embracing all of those, what the workplace would call soft skills. And, and I think that we're teaching a lot of good soft skills here that, that will pay them huge dividends in the future and they don't even know they're learning you know and, and so by in, by embracing things and, and you know saying hey shake my hand let's let's you know let's look at me in the eye you know all those little soft skills that really really do go a long way and, and so I think our graduates are going to benefit from it's not going to be forced for them it's going to be natural because that's what they were a part of for four years here. To touch on points that they all made um, regarding this, I would just say critical thinking and problem-solving skills mm-hmm. and tying that or those intangibles into, now would be an obvious time to say workplace readiness, but I would say life readiness. Mm-hmm. And what's the difference? Well, we've heard about workplace readiness, or, or excuse me, work-life balance, and, and now it's kind of transitioning to the idea that that is integrated and that you can't just be separate from your work all the time, that you really are what you do during all hours and all times. And so I hope that our kids are able to take what they've gained and gleaned from this experience and apply it not just to their workplace, but also integrate it into their life 
in an ultimately an effort to increase their quality of life. Yeah. Well, we might just have to check back in in a few years you to, have to see how everything went. Um, we're going to have to leave that there for now, but if you want to learn more about Code RVA Regional High School, you can visit their website at coderva.org. That's C-O-D-E-R-V-A.org. Uh, there you'll find information about the school, including details about partnering school divisions, the history and mission of the school, and other information about how and when to apply if you're interested. If you'd like to know more about the work that we do at the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium, you can visit our website at merc.soe.vcu.edu. That's M-E-R-C uh, There you'll find information about our ongoing studies as well as other episodes of this podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we hope that you'll share this episode with anyone you believe could benefit from joining our discussion. We're eager to bring them to the table with us. You can access Abstract on the Merck website as well as on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. We hope that you'll subscribe and leave some feedback on any of these platforms. Our next episode will introduce our Summer Connection series leading up to our 15th annual Merck Conference in the fall featuring guest hosts and stories about relationships from each of our school divisions, so look forward to that. Our thanks, as always, to the VCU School of Education for supporting the work that we do at Merck, to Jesse Seneschal for his fearless direction, to Kyle Yoga Muffin Rudd for our super cool theme music, to the wonderful and talented Tracy Knapp for our logo design, and all of our partnering school divisions, Chesterfield, Colonial Heights, Goochland, Hanover, Henrico, Powhatan, and Richmond. Um, our thanks to Michael Bowling, Wynn Ashworth, Rebecca Hall, and Joy Beatty for sharing the story of Code RVA with us today. And of course, thanks to all the teachers, researchers, students, parents, school leaders, policymakers, and other stakeholders in public education, including you, for joining our conversation today. We hope that we will never stop innovating when it comes to educating our students. Uh, my name is David Knapp. This has been another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues in public education. Let's talk again soon. Thank you.